0: Welcome to Storehouse Dallas.
1: Okay, well, let's get going. Um, I am starting a series today on the Book of Romans. The Book of Romans is in our New Testament. It is an incredible book of the Bible. It is, in fact, last time I checked anyway, uh, most commentaries have been written on this book of the Bible more than any other book. Um, and, um, um, and so this, this is a very important book in the church throughout history. And I hope to unpack some of that today. And, um, and so I'm just going to open up with chapters one, two, and three today, and then we're going to carry this over for the next few weeks. So I encourage you to be in the book of Romans, read through it. If you have an opportunity, read it cover to cover in one sitting. Probably take you an hour, hour and a half, depending on your reading speed. Um, But um, your audio Bible, will finish it in about an hour and 15 minutes. And so this is, it's just helpful to have it all the way through. But then each week, as we focus on particular chapters, go back and reread those and pray through them and get those words deep in your heart. Um, And it's going to release revelation about the gospel. So... Romans, book of Romans. This book is written by our beloved Paul. His Jewish name, his Hebrew name is Saul, Shaul. He is a Jew. He was born a Jew. He was born and and then he was trained in the most strict law-observing, law-abiding version of Judaism during the first century called Phariseeism. So Paul was a Pharisee. He believed in strict observance to the law of Moses, and he actually persecuted the church. If you'll remember in Acts chapter 8, a man named Stephen preached the gospel boldly to a number of Jewish leaders, and it got him stoned. When we preach the good news, sometimes people don't like it. But it's still good news. And Paul was there, or Saul, Shaul, he was there approving of this stoning of this man, Stephen. Watched him die, approved of it, and began and continued to persecute the church. Um, And so he was probably the leading persecutor in the Pharisaic community of this new group of people called the Way. We follow the way. We follow Jesus, these Jesus followers. However, if you go to the next chapter of the book of Acts, chapter 9, you see that Shaul has a radical encounter with the risen Christ. Jesus visibly appears to Paul while he's on his way to continue his persecution. And Jesus says to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me. And what's just interesting about that is that Saul was persecuting Christ's people. But when people persecute Christ's people, they persecute Christ himself. And he said, "Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me?" And, and he gets radically saved, goes blind, um, um, has to, uh, is, is blind for three days until a man named Ananias comes, lays hands on him, he receives his sight, he receives the Holy Spirit, he gets baptized, and he becomes a radical preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ. God can take the most, the hardest of hearts, radically encounter them and turn them and make them the most powerful messengers of the gospel. So, Paul, you know, he he preaches, every time he would go to preach, he would go into a town, he would go into the synagogues first. He would go first to the Jewish community. That was his strategy. Um, and then what often happened um, is that he would go to the Gentiles to preach the gospel. Um, often because the Jewish communities that he was sent to were rejecting it for the most part. And so though he preached to the Jewish community, he was primarily commissioned as a minister of the gospel to the Gentiles, to people who are not Jews. And what I find interesting is that you've got this strict Torah observant Pharisee trained in one of the most renowned schools of his region, and God calls and commissions, commissions him to pagan Gentiles, I mean, it's like Paul, get ready for the potlucks that have bacon and shrimp, <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, to a Pharisaic Jew, I mean, it's like a nightmare, you know <laughs> um and and Jesus said, Paul, that's where I'm sending you. you know, I went to uh, Belize on a mission trip in college and um and I was actually uh, uh keeping a kosher diet at the time, um just part of convictions at the time. I don't keep it anymore, but I was at that time. Um, and, and I really grew a distaste for a lot of non-kosher foods, bacon, shrimp, catfish, all that stuff. But I'm going to Belize and I'm just like, and the Lord starts, you know, ministering to my heart because it's just like, Matthew, hospitality is going to be a big deal here. And I want you to eat whatever's put in front of you. And I'm just like, okay, Lord. And so I, I get to Belize and we're riding from the airport. Um, Two, it's like a three-hour bus ride um, in hot Caribbean tropical weather, <laughs> no air conditioning. And I'm talking with one of the natives there, and I ask him, what's your favorite food? And he says, iguana. <laughs> I'm like, oh, this is going to be an awesome trip, Jesus. <laughs> I imagine Paul had more than one of those experiences. So Paul, he wrote this letter to the church in Rome. And something important to note about the church in Rome is that it was composed of believers in Jesus who were both of a Jewish background and of a Gentile background. And as we see in the book of Acts, so the gospel was first sent to Jerusalem and Judea. It was sent first to the Jewish people, but Jesus promised that it would go beyond the Jewish people, that it would go to Samaria and to the remotest parts of the earth that all nations would hear this gospel preached. And so as Paul is a big part of that, after he gets saved, starts taking the gospel to all these Gentile towns, performs powerful miracles, and sees just hundreds and hundreds of Gentiles coming to faith in Jesus Christ. Um, And and it's, it's just surprising and shocking. A lot of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, they're like, wow, this is awesome. But now what do we do with all these Gentiles? Because these guys, you know, they're they're potlucks. You know, they have pork and shrimp and catfish. They don't keep the Sabbath. They don't circumcise their sons on the eighth day. And so they had to start wrestling with this. What is this going to look like as we're trying to fellowship together as a body of Christ, as a body of Messiah? So, um, and, and remember Jesus, he's a Jewish man. He's the son of David. So it made sense in the mind of a Jewish believer that they would continue keeping the law of Moses as Jesus did. But they had to ask about these Gentiles Do we make them cut the bacon? Do we make them cut the shrimp? Do we make them circumcise their sons? And as we see in Acts chapter 15, a council of the apostles and the elders in Jerusalem come to the conclusion that no, Gentile believers in Jesus Christ do not have to keep these ritual observances of the law of Moses. They do not have to be circumcised in order to be saved. They do not have to keep the dietary laws of the law of Moses in order to be saved. However, this was not a free-for-all. The laws of morality still applied. And we're going to get into that as we go through these next few chapters. Um, And they gave specific instructions for the Gentiles to abstain from immorality, to abstain from idolatry, to abstain from eating blood. So there were still things that were important for Gentile Christians to observe. Um, and though the key leaders of the, Jewish, of the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem, so Christians, believers in Jesus, but from a Jewish background, though they had come to a unanimous agreement during this council, this issue still permeated much of the church across the world at that time. And these churches began to ask these questions. Um, what, what makes the person righteous? What makes the person right with God? What puts them in right relationship with the Father? Does it require that these Gentiles observe the law of Moses? Do they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved? And so Paul in the book of Romans will address this issue head on. And his main argument will be this, that righteousness, right standing with God comes not through observance or the works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ, the risen Lord, the one who is a son of David, according to the flesh, but has been declared to be the son of God, according to the spirit and by the power of his resurrection. Amen. So let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. You can turn there in your Bibles. It'll be up here on the screen. This kind of gives a summary of Paul's main message throughout this book. Romans 1, verse 16 to 17. He says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Important word. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, for in this gospel... The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, but the righteous man shall live by faith. So the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, it has power to bring salvation to everyone who believes. And the righteousness of God is revealed in the preaching of this gospel. And so he expounds on this throughout the whole book. So I'm going to cover three major themes in chapters one, two, and three. First theme that I'm going to cover is this that all Gentiles are guilty of sin. They are deserving of condemnation and they are in need of salvation. Point number two all Jews are guilty of sin, deserving of condemnation. And in need of salvation. And the final point all Gentiles and Jews are made righteous, are saved, are made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. Are we ready? Okay, point number one all Gentiles are guilty of sin, deserving of condemnation, and in need. Of salvation, Romans chapter one unpacks this very particularly. You know, in my Christian life, um, this question bugged me early on, and um, and it's probably the most common question I get that I've ever got. Not only as a pastor, but just from as a Christian before I was ever in the ministry. And I was talking to anybody about Jesus. One of the most common questions I get is, "Does God send?" the guy in Papua New Guinea who's never heard the gospel to hell. And, and, and you know, this the very nature of that question. It, it, it questions and it challenges the goodness of God, the fairness of God, and the righteousness of God. How can a good God send somebody who's never heard the gospel to hell? How can a righteous God... Send someone who's never heard that it's wrong to do this or that to hell. Could this God be fair? And um, um, a better question, though, I want to propose to you is this. Um, Are people who have never heard the gospel guilty of sin? Are people who have never heard the gospel deserving of condemnation? Are people who have never heard the gospel in need of salvation? And I think that that question really puts it back on, on, on the righteousness of the person and questioning that instead of the righteousness and the goodness of God. What does Paul say in Romans chapter one to the question, do people that have never heard the gospel, are are, are they guilty of sin? Do they deserve condemnation? Are they in need of salvation? The answer to all of those questions is yes, they are. Why? First of all, God reveals himself and his invisible attributes through creation, yet they still sin. Let's look at Romans chapter 1, verse 20 to 21. Romans 1, verse 20 says this. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen. Very important to note, being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations and their foolish heart was darkened. So let's talk about a few things in this verse here, that God reveals himself in creation. You know, you open the book of Psalms, and so many of them are, are, are David or the psalmist singing praises to God about creation. And God, he, he sends blessing and rain on both the righteous and the wicked. You know, and David struggled with this, <laughs> saying, God, you know, the wicked are prospering. You know, so th- 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 this what's going on here? And it's that God, he's revealing himself through creation. He's revealing himself by blessing people, blessing their crops, blessing them with weather, blessing them with children, blessing them in this way and that. And that there is something imprinted in creation that reveals God's eternal and divine nature. And it's there. It's there in front of every single eye, every single person that God has made, because God wants to reveal himself. God isn't trying to say, come and figure out if I exist or not. He is doing everything possible to make it absolutely clear and understood that he exists. So what happens? Why don't people see it? Why does my atheist friend not believe in God? For even though they knew God, there was something in them that God put in them to know him. Even though they knew it, they did not honor him as God or give him thanks. So there was a refusal in the human heart to acknowledge God the creator. To acknowledge that God was giving blessing. And and we see this throughout the Bible. We see men, women through the nations. They rise to power. The kings rise to power as the king of Babylon in the book of Daniel. And he looks at the beauty of the city of Babylon and he says, look what I have done. And he refuses to acknowledge God or to give him thanks. And what happens? They become futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart is darkened. It is actually a foolish thing not to acknowledge or thank God. And when we refuse to acknowledge and thank God for what He's doing and when it's right in front of us, it darkens our understanding. And over time, that darkness and that hardness increases in our conscience, and it becomes more and more difficult to see God even though He's right in front of us. Even Jesus, the exact representation of the Father's nature, is standing before Israel in the flesh. God in the flesh is standing there. And he said, you missed the time of your visitation. Right there, the perfect revelation of God in the flesh before their eyes. But they refused to acknowledge God and they did not honor him. And they became foolish and their hearts were darkened. Even people that have God in the flesh standing in front of them can and do reject him. And so all are without excuse. A few other things it says that's really important here is that they worshiped creation instead of creator. Okay, so they start exalting the the creature. And in pagan cultures, this happens in the sense of they have idol worship. They fashion gods in their own image. And I mean, you see this even with the people of Israel. They're brought out of Egypt, and Moses goes on the mountain for many days, and they demand from Aaron that he fashions an idol, a god, in the shape of a golden calf, and says, we want to worship this god that we've made. You know, because when we make God, we have control over him. When we decide what God thinks is right and wrong, we have control over him. When we decide what's sin and not sin, we have control, not God. And it darkens our understanding. And God handed them over to all lust and impurity as a result. And I mean, I just, it breaks God's heart. And we see that clearly in the scriptures. He's constantly calling out to people to worship him as creator because these man-made things, they can't do anything for them. They neither speak nor hear nor talk. I mean, it's, it's God saying, I love you and I want to talk to you. But, you know, in, in our Western culture, it's not always a physical idol that comes up in front of us, but it's, it can be a worship of money. And so greed or uh, starts to overtake us and 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 or or fear of financial security and all of our decisions start being made around i've got to have money i've got to have financial security i've got to have things and we start worshiping the material the creation instead of the creator and we start to take on the nature of the thing that we exalt and that we worship you worship money you start to look like greed. You worship, a, a God, you worship pleasure. You start to seek and serve pleasure, physical pleasure, emotional pleasure, whatever it is. And you run from one relationship to another. Because that's the thing that you have worshipped instead of God as creator. And finally, that they exchange the truth of God for a lie. So when God reveals his truth to us, if it comes in, whether through creation or through he's spoken his word through us, to us or God in the flesh is appearing before us and the truth of, we're presented with the truth of God and we look at it and we say, no, I'm going to believe this instead. and we allow that lie in our hearts to become truth, what happens is that God hands people over to degrading passions and a depraved mind. It's very important. Heavy topic here. It's a good time for a joke, Matthew. That's the best I got for you right now, y'all. Sorry. (laughs) But I want us to feel the weight. I want us to feel that God truly does reveal himself to us. God really does do everything possible to make himself known to us. And that we are presented with the choice to honor God and give him thanks, to say yes to the truth or to reject him. And when we reject, and when we reject, and when we reject, and when we reject, our heart becomes darkened, our thinking becomes stupid, futile, empty, vain. There's a number of degrading passions that Paul mentions here, and um, we're going to go deep here for a moment, okay? I've lightened us up a little bit. But I'm about to hit some things really square between the eyes today. Um, Because let God be made true and every man a liar. And I'm going to preach in a way that you're going to get some freedom today. Okay? Um, Romans 1, more clearly than, arguably more clearly than any other passage of Scripture, hits this issue of homosexuality more than any other place in the Bible. Um, it's just as much as you try to get around all the other verses, and I've seen people do it. I've been to seminary. I've seen them do it. Lots of books written. This chapter is the one people really have a difficult time getting around. And I want to speak to it tenderly, but very directly today. Um, It says in Romans 1 that because of this, Worshiping a creature instead of the creator, and because of exchanging the truth of God for a lie, that God hands people over to degrading passions. And what he says here um, Romans 1, verse 26 that God gave them over to these things. Um, women exchange the natural function for that which is unnatural. And in the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. And just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. So, Here's what I want to emphasize here is that when God is when when it's talking about homosexuality here, that um, he the the Bible calls it, Paul calls it, the Holy Spirit ministering through Paul calls it unnatural. The literal Greek there is two words, against nature. It is against nature. to commit acts of homosexuality. It is not how God designed human beings to function. I want to speak to this in a very personal note because this is something that Matthew Esquivel relates to. Um, this is something that God has brought an incredible level of freedom to Matthew Esquivel in. and I've been very open with this from this pulpit, probably not in some time, so a number of you are probably familiar with my testimony. I won't go into all the details of it, but from a very young age, I started to experience same-sex attraction, and I wrestled with this because um, it was something that I didn't want to be, A, because people around me Thought it was terrible, and so it was just like it's like the worst possible thing you can imagine being as a kid is a homosexual, um, and so it's um, trying everything not to be. Actually, got addicted to pornography and masturbation, trying to prove that I was not gay. And as a young as a young man, it felt so natural to have these attractions. It felt so part of my nature and how I was created and how how God made me to be. But there was something in my heart deeper, and I, I would arguably say deeper than just people didn't like gay people. There was something in my heart that said, this isn't right. Something's not right here. Um, um, and and, and what, what it felt so natural, the word of God has very directly said, this is against nature. This is not how God has designed us. This is not how God has made you. If you struggle with homosexuality, that is not how God has created you. It is against nature. The reason it feels so part of nature is because sin has distorted and has corrupted us. And it comes in, and I I've talked to so many people one-on-one, not, not like a million, but a lot of people over the, the past few years and hearing their stories and what happens, what seems to be a pattern, and it's it's everyone has a different story, but what's similar is either it came from the outside through someone speaking over um, someone, you're gay. Or you're going to turn gay because they're, they're more um, affectionate. They're more prone to the arts and, um, and creative expression. And so, um, your, your average rough and tough athletic guy, um, um, it's, it doesn't fit the mold for this, for this other more emotionally, physically sensitive creative person. And, um, and that's, that's, this is kind of a generalization here, but it's so common that, I'm just going to keep saying it, um, is that they start speaking those words over at people at a young age. That's exactly what happened to me. Start hearing that multiple times, multiple times, multiple times, and, um, and it starts to seed in. And as, even as a young, as a young man, that, that lie, it's so easy to exchange the truth, of that conviction in my heart, this isn't right. It's so easy to exchange that for the lie that's been spoken. A number of other people have been victims of sexual abuse. A number of other people have been exposed to same-sex pornography. And so these things come in and it, what is it? It seeds that lie and it seeds that that sin on the inside of them. And what they do is when they, the, the danger starts to enhance when people start to agree with it. And I agreed with it. And I agreed and I engaged in sinful actions that were against nature. And it was one of the very things that made me not want to be a Christian anymore. Because as as someone that started to grow and started to really develop a genuine love for the Lord, um, just this inward wrestle started to overtake me. And I just, I didn't know what to do with it. I didn't know who I could talk to. Um, and, and I was a part of the Episcopal Church at the time, and this that whole issue was just really coming up to the surface in the Episcopal Church during that time. Um, a number of, of churches and, and cities within the Episcopal Church have stood on the Word of God, but a vast number of them have gone against the Word of God on this issue. Um, and God doesn't like that because it puts people in bondage. So what what I began to struggle with is like, God, am I good enough? Am I ever gonna be good enough with this struggle in my heart? Am I ever gonna be good enough if I can't overcome this sin? If I can ever not be this. And it, it just it it but but the Lord, what he did is he brought people in my life to continue to bring truth. When I felt like I wasn't worth it anymore to God, like I would never measure up to his standard that in order to be righteous, that I couldn't, I've already disqualified myself because of what I done or who I think I am. But, but, but it was people saying, no, Matthew, my dear friend, one of my dear, dear friends um, said, Matthew, you're totally worth it to God. He hasn't just left you and abandoned you. And it really was just those words that put enough faith in my heart to say, Jesus, I struggle with this. I don't know what to do with it, but I commit my life to follow you no matter what. And I mean, God did a powerful work in my heart that night. Um, it did not end the struggle. It unfortunately did not end future Instances of acting out, but it, it it brought me to a place of I know what repentance is. I know that I can run with confidence to Jesus. I in college I started opening up about it to to Christian friends, to my campus pastors, and I started experiencing a powerful level of deliverance at that time. And it's 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 a journey. It's a deliverance from habitual sin and lies that seed themselves and say, this is your nature. This is who you are. That it, there's, a, there's, a, there's a process of walking in freedom. Now, there are power encounters, but then there's a walking out in the, under a life of surrender and lordship to Jesus Christ. And something that's really good news about the book of Romans for Matthew is that the righteousness of God comes through faith in Jesus Christ. That no matter what I've done, that no matter what I thought I was, I agree. I, I exchange the lie. I throw off the lie and put in the truth of who God is. No, I've been created in the image of God. I am a son and not a slave. I am a new creation in Christ. And he gives me a new nature because he is created in righteousness and holiness. And then I can stand before God and say, this is not how you made me. And I just, I want to really plead with um, anyone in here that it, that's, that's in this room, that's watching online, that struggles with that lie, that this is who you are, that this is your nature. I want to tell you that is not who you are. That is against nature. It's not how God made you. And that in Christ, you get a new nature. You get a new identity in him. And it's called sonship. It's called righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ. And you know, this is not the only sin that Paul mentions in Romans chapter 1, by the way. Greed envy gossip slander disobedience to parents. All who do these things, Paul says are quote worthy of death. Sin brings death, it spreads death across all of humanity. All are without excuse. You know, and Paul makes it really clear um, in the next chapter, chapter two, that if we pass if Christians pass judgment on people who do these things, anything on the list, homosexuality, greed, envy, gossip, slander, you cheat your job, you cheat, your, you steal money from work, you 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 gossip about people. He says if you if you judge people that do any one of those things, but you do those things, you are heaping up, storing up judgment on yourself. You're storing up wrath for yourself on the day of judgment. Um, so here's what it looks like. So you see, oh yeah, Matt, applaud Matthew. Homosexuality is a sin. But in your, and it's like, gosh, all those sinners. Like they're such horrible people. Um, but then in your heart, you, struggle, you, you actively practice greed, envy, strife, gossip, slander as a Christian. And yet you pass judgment on those that struggle with any one of those sins outside of the church. You store up wrath for yourselves in the day of judgment. And it doesn't mean we don't call it sin. It doesn't mean we don't say it's, it's, it's people are worthy of death. But it means Jesus says, if you're going to look at the speck in your neighbor's eye, make sure that plank is taken out of yours. And you can see clearly because if that plank is in your eye of any other sin, it is, causing, it is causing your heart and your mind to be darkened. So, the second reason that all Gentiles are under sin is that God reveals his divine law through the human conscience. Yet people still sin. Thus all Gentiles, wherever they are, whether they've heard the gospel or not, there's a conscience that God has given them that they have refused. Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 12, those who have sinned without the law, without knowing the law of Moses, without knowing what's right and wrong, will also perish without the law. And those who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. So those that have not heard are guilty because God has revealed himself through creation and through the conscience, the human conscience that he's put inside of our hearts. And those who have sinned without the law will die without it. Those who sin under it, those who knew the law, those who knew the ways of God, that's what they'll be judged by. Which leads us to our next point. Not only are all Gentiles guilty of sin, deserving of condemnation, and in need of salvation, but all Jews are guilty of sin, deserving of condemnation, and in need of salvation. Let's take a moment just to... feel like we need a moment to breathe. I just want to invite the Holy Spirit to come in here right now. He's already here, but when we acknowledge His presence... He really likes it. When we honor him, when we give him thanks, we thank you, Holy Spirit. We thank you for your presence in this room. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to bring freedom. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to reveal truth. I thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit to unveil the righteousness of God, to reveal this righteousness that's through faith in Jesus Christ. I thank you, God. That you did not come to condemn the world, but to save it. That Jesus didn't come to accuse people of sin. He came to point them to himself, the way, the truth, and the life. He came to show them the way of salvation. Holy Spirit come. Amen. So, all Jews are guilty of sin. You see, the people of Israel were called out of Egypt and they were called to be set apart from the Gentiles. And they received the law of Moses on Mount Sinai in the book of Exodus. And these laws were to set them apart from the nations. Some of these laws were directed towards worship, some were directed towards morality. Some were directed towards what they eat, what they drink. And when they received the law of Moses, they entered into a covenant relationship with God. Unfortunately, they wanted to be like the nations. They wanted to look like the world around them. You know, sometimes even the church, we try to, so hard to be relevant to the world or to reach the world that we end up looking exactly like the world. We start adopting the same ways. We start listening to the same things, watching the same things, acting the same things, saying the same things, preaching the same things from the pulpit. And God says, no. My gospel reveals my righteousness. It includes love. It includes unity. It includes these things that the world preaches, but it means love and unity on Jesus' terms. So Paul says, it's not enough to be born a Jew, to have the righteousness of God it 's not enough to be circumcised to be in covenant relationship with god it's not enough to eat turkey bacon <laughs> turkey bacon i really like lo- i've really i love turkey bacon um, I know Tracy will not you know <laughs> i've got friends i've got family that are gentiles they are like, I am a loud and proud German Christian that eats bacon, you know <laughs> And God says, you're welcome to the table. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, um, but it's, 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 it's not enough to do all these outward things. Um, that there is, it's, it's what God wants is something of a heart transformation. And Jesus said this to the Pharisees. You do all of these outward things, but you neglect the weightier matters of the law, like justice and mercy and taking care of the orphan and the widow and forgiving those who have sinned against you. God doesn't want outward obedience, outward ritual acts, outward religious activity. And this applies to us in the church. We think if we come to church, we think if we do Christian things and use Christian lingo that we're that we're in right relationship with God. And we do all these outward things, but God says no. True circumcision, true Relationship with Jesus comes from the heart. And it's done not by the letter, not by the letter of the law, not by doing religious activity, but it's through the Spirit of God that comes to your heart that cuts off that old nature when you say yes to Jesus, and He makes you a new creation. Circumcision and uncircumcision, Paul says boldly in Colossians, count for nothing. What counts is a new creation. Has God made you new? That's what he wants. And, you know, I just want to speak to this thing in the church that we, we, it's so easy, especially if we've grown up in the church, we've been in the church a long time, to start just thinking that we, we've got it. And, we're, we're, uh, and so there's, there's an accusation towards the world for being too sinful when there's all these other issues going on in our hearts that we need to deal with. And again, it's not that we don't say sin is sin. It's not that we don't address things, but it's that we say, God, search me and know my heart. I see all these issues going on with people in the world or people in the church, and I'm going to point it out. The Holy Spirit says, "Will you let me search your heart and bring up these things I want to deliver you of. So we pass judgment on those being too sinful. But then in the church, we have this thing where, where, where people pass judgment on other Christians for being too religious, Ah, oh, they read their Bible too much. Oh, they fast and pray too much. Oh, they are too strong on certain morality issues. They call homosexuality a sin. They're so religious. We need to follow the spirit. And Paul doesn't, he, he wants righteousness, right standing with God. He wants the ways of God. And so we can get caught up in legalism and we can get caught up in just free for all. I'm free and alive and what I do and the morality that I engage in doesn't matter. It does matter. It all matters. You want a life in God. You want a life in prayer. You want a life in, in, in you, as you sit in this prayer room, it doesn't earn you righteousness with God, but it's you sitting your heart before a burning God to grow in love and intimacy with this God who burns with love for you. So, Romans 3, 21 to 26. And we'll, this will be our last verse and we'll close. So if righteousness is not dependent on what I've done religiously. I've done the right acts. I've observed certain laws. I've done this. I've done that. If righteousness doesn't depend on our past, we could have, we've could sinned. We've fallen short. But that doesn't matter. That's not what disqualifies us um, in the end for righteousness. Um, I'll clarify that. What, what is it? What gets us right with God? And Paul says it here, that righteousness, right standing with God, comes through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter 1, or I'm sorry, chapter 3, verse 21. But now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Jesus Christ, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness, because the forbearance of God had passed, o- he passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time, so that He would be just and justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ little bit of a mouthful there. Um, But what's he saying? He's saying righteousness does not come because of what you've done. Righteousness is not earned. That righteousness is not something we can say that we've ever deserved. That righteousness comes as a free gift. And this is extremely good news because even if you've sinned, and you've failed and you've fallen short, the righteousness, this right standing with God is still available to you. If you've tired yourself out through religious activity, observing certain laws and commands, but continue to fall short, you can still be put in the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. God restores us to covenant relationship. So what did Jesus do to make this righteousness of God available? He became a propitiation, a sacrifice. Through the shedding of his blood, our sins are cleansed. That we can boldly stand before God and receive the cleansing power of the blood of Jesus both of our sinful activities and for our prideful religious activities that say I've earned it, I deserve salvation, I deserve right standing with God, that is sin, that's pride that needs to be cleansed and we can, whether whatever side you're coming from, you can be put right in the center, righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ. It's available to every single one of us. Tracy.
2: Okay, so, hi. We're kind of handing this off. We're going to do this together, but we really felt like together as we were praying. um, I had a dream about the book of Romans, chapter 1 and 2, before Matthew got up here and before we really decided. We we knew we wanted to do Romans, but we weren't 100% sure this summer. And I had this dream, and I wanted to share it because I believe that there's going to be deliverance here today. Um, because that's what the Lord was showing me in the dream. So I'm going to share it with you really briefly. Are you guys good? Okay. um, So in the dream, we were here in this room, and everybody was sitting at a classroom table. And Matthew was standing up here at the pulpit and had the book of Romans open. And I began, I was sitting over here and I began to talk to him about the book of Romans. And I began to tell him, you know, the apostle Paul wrote in the book of, wrote the book of Romans. And he wrote so many of the New Testament books of the, of the epistles. And, and as Paul was greeting and each church to each uh, letter that he wrote, he was, he was demonstrating the nature and the character of God. And um, and so we began to have this dialogue about Paul and about the book of Romans. All of a sudden, everybody in the room, the Holy Spirit was exploding in them, and, and everybody was beginning to experience a personal revival, and that was happening. And then all of a sudden, a person from the back who had judged the way that the revival was coming... That the revival was coming through the word of God began to sing a song, like a spontaneous song. But and and so they were singing in the spirit. But when they were singing, because it was it was weird, it was coming in the flesh because they had judged the way that the church was operating, and the way that the 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 revival was coming through the word. And so because of that they couldn't get, the spirit couldn't move. And so they were actually under judgment. Um, And so what he was talking about was actually happening. And so I'm seeing this happen because they had judged. They were actually under judgment. And so what they were trying to do, while it was good, they couldn't do it. They couldn't get up in the spirit. And when they began to release that song, it caused the revival and the Holy Spirit to come down in the room. And so um, it brought a curse on them, but it also hindered what was happening in the room. And then the scene changed, and then all of a sudden I saw this scene of of, uh, of homosexual seduction and how a spirit of seduction was coming on the body of Christ, and it was causing them to begin to come away. And it was so subtle in the way that it was approaching in homosexuality— the way that it was approaching people to come away. And it started off just really small and a hint of something that seemed perfectly harmless, but yet it was carrying them away into a debased mind and into um, great sorrow. And so I felt like through this, this encounter that I had through my dream, I felt like the Lord was saying that this morning he really wanted to deal with some stuff. He wanted to deal with any places where we have judged others especially in the church. And um, because of that, we're under judgment, and the things that we're trying to get to are being hindered, and the, uh, we're trying to move in the spirit. That's being hindered because of the way that we've judged others, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, or we've judged whoever. And so it is. God is serious about this, that we have clean hands and a pure heart. And so we want to deal with that this morning. The other thing is this homosexuality. You know, this is, a, this is so pervasive in our culture right now that men are not men and women are not women and girls are not girls and boys are not boys. It's insanity. But the truth is, is that, that in Romans, God is very clearly saying that we are made in the image of God and there is no confusion. There is no confusion at all. And we've got to take a stand on that in love and just say, God, this is who I am. And shut the door to any voices or, or seducing spirits. And let me tell you something. This isn't something that you may have to act on, but this may be ministering to you even in times of intimacy. This may be ministering to you in times of loneliness. And so uh, we want to begin to shut the door to those voices, that seducing spirit that That is coming after the church that we're supposed to walk in holiness and purity and and the beauty of the lord and agreeing and being thankful and those were the two things right thankfulness and honoring god as the creator and seeing him rightly and so we want to break some of this stuff off and then we want to we want to start that and so um are you guys good do y'all feel good about that? Because I feel good about it. Do you feel good about it?
1: <laughs> <laughs> can, I, can I make a comment here? There's there's another way that the church has really agreed with this. Um and it's it's um not only people that have maybe they've personally struggled with it, but in the church, we've kind of tolerated it and we've um um we've either we've agreed with what the culture has said. And this is, I think, some repentance on behalf of the church. At large, I think would be really good too. It's just like God forgive us, because by agreeing and saying it's okay, by agreeing and saying that's how God made this person, um, um, then we've we've engaged in then being handed over to it, um, and, and and that's I, I think I preach to a lot of the choir in this room. What I'm not asking is that we go on parading, you know, and sign and picketing, um, but we're coming in a spirit of love, but we're willing. To say, Holy Spirit, like, help me hold on to the truth of what you say about this. Help me have no inward agreement with this at all.
2: And if you will, if you will, if you know somebody who is under the delusion of homosexuality and under that spirit of seduction that's come after them, if you will, in all honesty, forgive the Lord for judging them, ask them, say, Lord, forgive me for judging them and get before the Lord with a clean uh, heart and a clean mind and, and begin then to earnestly pray for them and say, Lord, I lift them up to you. and And then trust me, the Holy Spirit will do more as you extend mercy to them and he will deal with them and and you just continue to love them you continue to speak the truth to them of who they are um you prophesy to them and that'll speak to that spirit there and it'll begin to call them out of it
1: yeah <laughs> I love tag team I know. you're like my favorite tag team partner <laughs> up here <laughs> um you know, I just want to say, too, for those that, that have struggled with this or have believed this lie, um, I want to tell you it's, it's a lie. It's not who you are, that um, the Lord loves you. Um, the Lord wants you free, and that we love you, and that we want you free. Um, and we're here to walk with you through this um, to the best of our ability. And the church, we don't get it right all the time. And we've, we've really struggled on doing this well. Um, but I'm just, I believe today we can ask God to really help us with this. Um, but, um, I, um, what I, what I propose, Tracy, let me see what you think about this is I think a lot of us know somebody that struggles that either is identifying as a homosexual or that is, is struggling with it. You're not sure how to help them. You know, somebody that's in that struggle in some sense. Is there anyone in this room that knows somebody that's in that? Okay. Okay, there's a lot of us. And um, those are people close to us. Um, And so I think I want to do what I propose, that we have those folks stand and that we do some ministry. So you stand in on on behalf of those people there. Um, If um, Any thoughts?
2: No, I think that sounds good. And then then I also want to deal with all of us here and out there that have struggled with it as well.
1: Okay. Um so I just want to invite people to stand that you know somebody that this has been a real struggle for them. They have identified with this. Someone close to you, someone you love, someone you see regularly. Um we're going to pray for them. Um and um um you don't have to shout their name out, but I think you just um will uh if we can um start having some uh um music playing. Um let's do Bethany, can you come on up? Yeah, thank you. Bethany is going to come up and lead on keys. I appreciate your patience because we want to deal with this sensitively, but also very directly because we want people to experience true freedom. Um, You know, I'm actually going to let Tracy... First, and, and John, if you would if you please come up here. Um, John and Tracy have really walked with me through this. Um, and I could not have done it without them. And they still cover me and they still pray for me. And I tell you, that enemy is a liar, and he tries to to get us to believe his lies. But you have people in your lives that say, this is who you are. And they have just done this for me. I've known them since 2006. And I want, um, I just want them as a, as as a father and a mother to really lead over that because they have authority over this. Um, And I'm, I'm living evidence of the authority that God has given them to help people walk in freedom of this. So I'm just going to hand this over.
0: Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this good son. We thank you, Lord, that through his faith in you, Lord Jesus Christ, that you've overcome this on his behalf. Lord, we thank you that there's nothing set before you that you didn't overcome at that cross. And we lean on that rugged cross today. We lean on it. We say, you've overcome this. And Lord, we declare today that there is freedom for all of us, no matter what our sin is. Lord, you've said that not one of us is free of sin, that all have fallen short of the glory of God by our sins. And, Lord, forgive us where we've chosen some sins that are worse than the other. But, Lord, even envy or strife or unbelief is a sin. Lord, forgive us of judging others. Lord, we don't want to be under the judgment. We want to be under your revival to set the captives free. So we embrace our Responsibility today, Lord. We say, Lord, help us to be ministers of the gospel like you say in your word. Not how the word, the world is even telling us who to judge and who not to judge and how. But Lord, we say your word tells us how to live our lives. And so, Lord, help us to come in alignment with it today. And we thank you for Matthew. Lord, I believe that Matthew's word today is going to bring tremendous freedom to others. Let this word go out and set the captives free in Jesus' name.